Thank you, Canon. If you have your Bibles, open them up to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 6. And look at that. We have a typo. There's a missing colon in the uh, slide. It is uh, not 1 Corinthians 16. It is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 6. And we're going to go 6 through 16. Now, I love the story of the Corinthian church. Hey, I'm not supposed to point out typos in case you didn't notice it. But anyway, um, I love the Corinthian church, and I love Paul's ministry to the Corinthian church. And one of the things that is just so incredibly exciting is that this is a group of people that live in a completely sinful culture. And they were dealing with major sin issues in their life. When you look at our culture and you look at the problems, the kind of things in the news, the things that they're teaching kids in school, reasons that people want to pull their kids out of school. When you think about what's happening in our culture, sometimes we have this tendency to think that what we're facing today is so much worse than what they faced in history. And what I want you to know is as corrupt, as polluted, as harmful as our, as our culture is today and is becoming, it is not worse than what the world has been like actually from the very beginning. In fact, if you think about it, in the time of the flood, Genesis, one of the first things that happens is that the earth is so wicked that every thought and every intent of every person's heart was sinful continually. Could you imagine a culture where everybody is completely rebellious against God and there is one family on earth that is committed to pleasing the Lord. That was Noah's day. And God actually drowned everybody on earth except Noah. That's the whole story of the ark. And what is amazing is Noah gets off the ark. His family starts to grow. There starts to be more people. And guess what? More wickedness. And that's, you know, that's one of the things that is so, such a blessing for us as we just read the Bible from beginning to end, it puts everything in life in context. But one of the things that I love about the Corinthian church is that they happen to live in the pinnacle of wickedness and sinfulness. And Paul goes and he preaches and people come to Christ and their life is transformed. And when you look at the Corinthian church, everybody looks at that and goes, oh, man, that church was a thorn in Paul's side. The Philippians, they loved Paul. The Corinthian church, they criticized him, and there was all these problems. And people feel like Paul must have loved the Philippians, and maybe he was just kind of irritated by the Corinthians. But that is actually not the case. There is nothing going on in the Corinthian church, none of the difficulties, none of the struggles, none of the trials, that would be a surprise to anybody. When you think about where they were saved from and just the process of having the Holy Spirit transform their life and learn to actually live in light of the things that God says. All these sinful habits that they had developed, they needed to change. And one of the things that I love about what Paul does, it's kind of amazing, is when he writes them a letter, he actually starts with the doctrine of salvation. What happened when you got saved? What is it that God did? How did you get saved? What does God do in the life of a person who's a Christian? 
And he actually just tells them, think rightly about yourself and your salvation. Because that is what you need to live out. We actually live in light of our salvation. And what I think is interesting is there are a lot of people, and we need to be doctrinally humble in the sense that there are people who have just a variety of theological beliefs. And we need to be careful that we don't make a list of 500 theological points and we say everybody has to believe exactly the same thing I believe. We need to be careful about that. We need to be humble. We need to recognize that there are godly, faithful people who look at salvation issues, that look at doctrinal issues, and that have a different perspective. So we need to be humble, and when we see a godly, faithful person who has a different view than what we have, we should be reminded, just like that person has a different view, and yet they're wrong, I think they're wrong, Maybe there's areas I'm wrong that I'm unaware of. And so we need to be humble. But then there's, there's, a, there's a next step that people take. And that is to say that all different doctrinal beliefs are okay. If we disagree, it's okay. You can believe that. That can be your truth. And I'll believe this, and this can be my truth. Did you know that that is not okay? In a sense... It is not okay to believe anything that God hasn't said is true. And we're humble because we recognize that other people have sin struggles and we have sin struggles. And we don't all believe the same things, but everybody is not right. And believing the wrong thing isn't right. It's not right when I believe the wrong thing, and it's not right when you believe the wrong thing. So the question is, how do we figure out what is right and what isn't right? And I think that there's, this is something that every Christian needs to have in their life. And that is a regular habit of reading the Bible. And we don't just read parts. We start in the beginning and we read to the end. There are people who think, oh, all you need to know is the Gospel of John. Just read that and study that. No, we do need that. But we actually need everything in the Bible. Because the more you read the whole Bible, the less likely you are to read one verse and misunderstand it. Because you start to understand the different things that God says in the context of the whole of Scripture. And it's great because there are sections of Scripture that are teaching. They're educational. We call them didactic. It's where Paul's giving instructions. And there are sections of Scripture that just tell stories, narratives. And in those stories, we see the truth that we are taught lived out. It's like, for example, take the life of Samson. There's all kinds of things, instructions given in Scripture. But when you look at the life of Samson, you're like, oh, okay, so that's how this works its way out. Or when you see the flood... Oh, God loves everybody. God would never hurt anybody. Hell can't be real. Really? God drowned the whole world because they disobeyed him. And it's like as you read Scripture, there are so many doctrinal beliefs that you just look at and you go, that's wrong and that's wrong and that's wrong. And often people struggle, not because doctrines are challenging to understand, not because the Bible is unclear, but because they don't read the Bible. And so my encouragement to you is that 
you will read scripture and it's amazing that when Paul looks at a church that has lots of problems, he starts by saying, what is true? In fact, Paul in Titus chapter 1, when he talks about the purpose of his life, he says, um, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth. Paul's committed to the faith of the people that God has chosen, the, the faith of the people that God is working in their heart to bring him to themselves and their knowledge of the truth. And then he goes on and he says, which is according to godliness. And when you study that and you think, through, what does that mean? What it means is their knowledge of the truth that produces godliness. If you don't know and believe the truth, you won't live rightly. And so Paul looks at the Corinthian church, and guess what? They're not living rightly. And so what does he do? He corrects their thinking. So let's jump into this passage this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 6 through 16. And we're going to see three important things. And the first one is this. God's wisdom comes only from God. Spiritual wisdom comes from God. He is the only source. And God's spiritual wisdom is contained in Scripture. And this is the other thing that is so cool. God's spiritual wisdom. You are given the ability to understand because when you become a Christian, God makes you spiritually alive. There is an external witness of truth But there is an internal witness of truth. And we're going to think about that because, believe it or not, non-Christians and Christians have an internal witness of the truth. But it only works correctly in Christians. Uh, The second thing is that God's wisdom is an immense treasure. We pursue all kinds of things in our lives. But there is nothing as valuable as understanding God's truth. That is worth giving time to. It is worth dedicating yourselves to understand because it will impact your life on this earth and your eternal destiny. But not just that. It will impact the life on this earth of people that you love and that you influence. And it will impact their eternal destiny. And we're going to end up with this, that God's wisdom cannot be received without God's supernatural work in a person's heart. So those are the things that uh, my points. Let's read scripture and let's find out if the Bible actually says those things that I just said. Because did you know that you're not supposed to follow me? Did you know that you're not supposed to just believe what I tell you to believe? Um, For every person we appreciate, we are thankful for the leaders that God gives us. But every single one of us, we sit with our Bible open, we listen to the things that we're being taught, and we read the Bible and we say, is that what this says? We don't say, do I like what's being said? Does that kind of fit with me and my personality? Is that what I would like to be true? No. We say, I don't know. Is that what God says? So let's look at Scripture and let's find out if these things are true. So start in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. 
And we're going to read uh, the first five verses, which we taught on uh, three weeks ago, or two weeks ago. And this is the Apostle Paul, and he says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Hey, isn't that encouraging? Like, I just, just the thing I like about that is sometimes we look at people who are so brilliant, they're so talented, they're so intelligent, they say things so well, they are so convincing, and we compare ourselves to them. We go, man, I could never do that. I'm not that talented. I could never be that kind of person. And God just says, no, what makes the difference in life is not your talent, it is not your ability, it is not your wisdom, it is my power. And so when we're trying to minister to people, when we are trying to influence people, we should put in lots of effort, but we should understand that it is God's truth that transforms hearts. It is God himself working in someone's heart. And what that means is that nobody is out of reach. It is never too late as long as a person is alive. God can work in their heart. He can save them. There is nothing you struggle with in your life that is beyond repair. God can fix anything in your life. We just need to do what he says in his way. And often, we have ongoing struggles. And the people that we love have ongoing struggles because they have ignored God's wisdom, God's truth, because we have ignored what God has told us to do. And so then we just have these ongoing problems. And in one sense, it's like, why would you be surprised that you have problems when you have neglected the truth, the only one who knows the truth, who gave you the instructions, you're rejecting and ignoring and neglecting that. Why would that be a surprise that we would struggle? So let's look at 6 through 16. This is our passage this morning. And Paul says this, Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Have you ever heard somebody say that, that as long as you're sincerely pursuing God, you can find God in any religion. God looks at the heart. He wants people that are genuine, that are sincere. And God can be found. There are many paths to find God. God can be found in any religion. Have you ever heard somebody say that? Well, that's somebody that ignored this passage. That's somebody that ignored, actually, many passages in Scripture. That is not true. Uh, the Bible tells us that all false religions 
are satanic. Um, that Satan creates religions to mislead people. There is one way of salvation, John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. And so every religion, you can go to hell by being an atheist and rejecting God. You can go to hell by believing any religion out there. The only way to heaven is through a personal relationship with Christ. And did you know that the road to hell includes many people who attend Christian churches, who every Sunday morning show up to church? In fact, Jesus talks about the wide and narrow road, right? The wide road that leads to destruction and many people are on it and the narrow road that leads to life and only a few find it. And then he looks at the Pharisees and he says, if you follow the Pharisees, they are experts in the Old Testament. They study it. They obey all the laws. They look so good on the outside. They're like whitewashed tombs. And he says, if you follow them, you will be eternally destroyed. He says that that when they make a disciple, they might make that disciple twice as much a son of hell as themselves. Are, are we shocked when we read the news and there are religious leaders that would be classified as Christians who as a regular part of their ministry misrepresent Scripture, teach things that are not true? And they do that regularly because... You can believe whatever you want, right? We shouldn't be doctrinally prideful. We should just realize, hey, we're all different. And so all these men who teach these different things, then it comes out that they have all kinds of sin problems, that they're sexual, that all kinds of sexual misconduct. And you just have one person after another stepping down. Is this a shock? I mean, you just look at that and you go, what's their message? It's not what God says. Yes, they claim to be Christians. Yes, they do all kinds of religious things. Many people follow them. But if you think about their message, it varies from what God says. It is different from Scripture. And so why would we be surprised that God brings to light the moral corruption in these people's lives? God's truth comes only from God. Now, mature believers, where Paul says, among the mature, we do impart this wisdom. And so this is kind of challenging. So what is mature? What is the wisdom? And what is this secret, hidden wisdom? Um, I'm so glad that Paul wrote more in the New Testament because, man, you'd be saying, what is that? So let me just quickly tell you what the mature is. Um, and there's a little bit of a, a debate here. Mature, this word for mature can just mean complete. And so potentially one interpretation as you study this is it's just talking about Christians, people who have been completed spiritually. Um, I think that this is actually, there's a contrast, and Paul's talking about preaching, the mature, preaching to the mature, and I think that's a, a comment about a believer. This is what it says in Hebrews 5.14. It says, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have the powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And so mature are people who understand what God is teaching and they live it out. They put it into practice. That's a mature person. Just a person who says, God, what do you say? I'm going to practice obeying that. That's a mature 
person. Um, Paul in 1 Corinthians, the end of this book, he says, brothers, do, do not be, this is 1 Corinthians 14, 20, brothers, do not be children in your thinking, be infants in evil, and in your thinking be mature. And so that's God just, Paul just saying, we need to understand scripture. Now he's talking about this wisdom, this secret hidden wisdom. <laughs> you want to know what it is? Uh, the secret hidden wisdom it is the gospel. It is who Jesus is. Uh, you can find this like, the, like Jesus when he's talking about the mystery. Um, he used that same term when he was describing his parables where he, where he would say to his disciples, to you it's been given to understand the mysteries of the kingdom, but to them it has not. See, Jesus did miracles and Jesus preached to these religious group of people who rejected him. And then he said, the judgment, the, the, the judgment for your rejection is that I will stop speaking to you. See, that is the huge tragedy. There are people who grow up in Christian families hearing the truth, and they ignore it, and they reject it. There are people who come to church every week, and whenever they hear something they don't like, they just disregard it. They set it to the side. They live according to their own desires and commitments. And sometimes God's judgment is to remove your ability to hear and understand. There are some people who leave the church and hate the church, and that's actually God's judgment on them. Have you ever thought about that Old Testament story about Eli and his sons? Eli has these sons who are priests, and they're priests. They're supposed to be representing God, and instead what they do is they are sexually immoral with the women who come into the temple. And they take these offerings that they're supposed to sacrifice to God in a certain way, and they violate what God says, and they just take the, the meat for themselves. Now, Eli finds out about this, and he goes to his sons, and he says, um, sons, what are you doing? I mean, if a man sins, sins against another man, you know, God will mediate between them, but what happens when you sin against God in this way? And there's a lot to be said about this. There are all kinds of parenting lessons about this, about Eli's responsibilities to his kids, because God later rebukes Eli for being passive in the lives of his kids. He says, um, you honored your sons above me. See, for Eli, he warned them, but he left them in their position. He allowed them to continue doing the things that they were doing. He was passive as a dad. But you read that story and you're like, but he did warn his kids. I just want you to know God expects more from us than just words. We need to be passionate and diligent and committed to doing things. Sometimes we just passively stand there while people rush off to spiritual destruction but what it says about Eli's sons, it's very interesting. This is 1 Samuel chapter 2. He says, Eli's sons didn't listen because God desired to put them to death. God just said, I am going to harden your heart. You're, you're going to violate the temple. You're going to violate the position that I gave you like this. You are going to die. And so therefore... You're going to just hard-heartedly continue in your sin. You ever think about that? How you can callous yourself towards sin. You know, Proverbs talks about how sometimes 
um, us running into sin. It's like when you really want what God says is wrong, sometimes God gives you what you want, and that is actually God's judgment. And so this truth, spiritual truth, comes only from God. And spiritual wisdom, the secret hidden wisdom, it is actually the gospel. Um, and let's, let's look at this in Ephesians chapter 3. Let's look at verse 6. I'm going to start reading in 4, and then you can pick it up when I get there. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has been now been revealed to his holy apostles and the prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. See, in the Old Testament, God talked about saving the Gentiles. He talked about how the Messiah would bless not only Israel but the world. But nobody would read the Old Testament and come to an understanding of the church, the way God is working through the church. And so that's the mystery. What is God doing? How has God saved people, Jews and Gentiles? And we didn't become Jews, all get circumcised and start dressing like Jews and living out Judaism, which is what they would have expected. What's happening right now in the church was a mystery. And we saw hints of it, but it had not been revealed in the same way. And so this is the mystery. Now, when we consider the fact that God's wisdom comes only from God, when, it, when there are certain things that God puts into the, certain elements of knowledge that God puts in the heart of every human being. And actually, when you consider your evangelism, when you consider the, the influence that you're trying to have on people around you, there are some really important things for you to know. And that is that every person has a knowledge of God. There are really no atheists. Um, there are people who convince themselves that they don't believe in God. They suppress everything that they see. That's, that happens. But God has gifted every human being with the knowledge of himself. Let's look at that in Romans chapter 1 verse 20. I'm going to start reading in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For that, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Now let's look at what does every person know. This is Romans 1.20. For his invisible attributes namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. Now, how does that impact your evangelism when a Jehovah Witness comes to your door, when a Mormon comes to your door, when you're sharing the gospel with a person who's very intelligent, they're a scientist, and they know a bunch of stuff that you don't know, how does it impact your, um, your ability to evangelize when you realize, actually, all the stuff this guy is saying to me, all of the evidence that he cites, it's a smokescreen. 
he goes through the world and he thinks, how can I twist any information I get in a way that could explain the world without God? How could I, you know, it's like you talk about the speed of light and how that's a problem for a young earth. I'm not going to get into the details of that, but you want to know what's a problem for evolu the evolutionary mindset? The speed of light. It doesn't fit with their belief either. There are so many things that don't fit. And so you have a group of people who in life, they, tr they take any information they have and they say, how can I arrange this in a way to reject God? You never need to feel intimidated by the intelligence of somebody that you're trying to share the gospel with. All you need to do is just tell them what God says. Tell them what God, what God says is true. You know, Jesus also tells us in John 14 and in John 16 that he has sent the Holy Spirit into the world to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So anytime you talk to any person, if you just put God's word in front of them, the Holy Spirit uses that and convicts them. You never need to feel intimidated. Hey, should you study science? Should you study other religions? Yes. Should you figure out how to reason with those things? Yes. But actually, all you really need to know is what God says, and then you need to present that in a loving, gracious way. Every person knows that there's God. He's made that clear to them. Uh, Romans chapter 2, verse 14, tells us something else. It says, For when the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves. Even though they do not have the law, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. How about that? People not only know that there's a God, but they know they are sinners. They know they're in trouble with this God. And those two things are things that God has done in the heart of every single person. And so not only has God done that in their heart, not only has he written that in their hearts, but the Holy Spirit convicts them of that. You know, often when you're sharing the gospel with somebody, when you're talking to somebody about God's truth, um, when you do that, Sometimes we don't perceive that it's powerful. We don't perceive that it's working. We feel like our words are falling on deaf ears. But the truth is, sometimes inside people's hearts, inside God is working, God is convicting. I had a roommate who um, had grown up, and as a young man, he lived his life committed to a particular sin. And one of the things that he said is, he just said, you know, Raj, when I was living in that, um, the times that I was the most hostile and the most angry toward people who were sharing the gospel with me were the times I was feeling most convicted. And God later worked on his heart, brought him to faith in Christ. Sometimes when we speak God's truth, when we're doing ministry, when we're telling people things that they need to hear, they react really negatively. They react in anger. And sometimes that is a mark of the Holy Spirit working in their heart. And so we need to be people who understand that only God has the truth, and he reveals it. The second thing that we really need to understand is that God's wisdom is an immense treasure. When we understand the gospel, when we understand eternity, when we understand what is at stake, and when we live in light of that, that is an amazing 
gift that God has given us. Look at verse 9. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Have you thought about that? You cannot put into words, you cannot even in your mind imagine the goodness of what God has planned for you. Man, that is so encouraging. You know, we look around at people and sometimes we think, oh, they're living a life of sin, but at least they're happy. Uh, The truth is they're not happy. Even when they think they're happy, they're missing out. They are losing opportunities that God intends, ways that God intends to bless them in this life. And sometimes we're like, yeah, that's a, it's a disobedient path, but we think about how it's kind of there's good things in it instead of realizing, no, they're missing out on God's good blessings. And not just in this life, eternity is at stake. I was thinking about the, uh, I wasn't at the women's thing um, yesterday. Um, I, I wish I would have. I wish I could have been sitting in the back listening. Michelle came home and she told me the story, incredible testimony lady who grew up in the house of a pastor, and um, in her life, everything looked good on the outside. She was doing really well in school. She was doing really well in sports. But in her heart, she actually was not following God. She was disobedient. Uh, She was living out a commitment to sinfulness. And she has this amazing tragedy happen in her life. She gets in a car accident, and she kills somebody, and she ends up going to prison for it. And um, through that, God gets a hold of her life. And it's like um, I was thinking about the story. So her mom died of a brain tumor, and her dad gets a brain tumor. And she, uh, her dad ends up dying while she's in prison. But I think before she was incarcerated, she's able to go and talk to her dad about what God has done in her life. And I was thinking about, you know, before... Everybody would have looked at her life, and it was so shiny and new and nice on the outside. She was such a good, good person, doing all kinds of things, being successful. The sin in her life was hidden. Nobody saw it. And probably everybody else was thinking, oh, what a wonderful kid. And I'm sure that her dad was incredibly heartbroken because he looked at her life, and he said, she's religious. She's got this semblance of religion on the outside. She's doing well in school. She's doing well in this. But I'm sure he was incredibly heartbroken just saying, my daughter's not walking with the Lord. Now, he could have rationalized and just said, oh, I remember when she was a little kid and where she prayed to receive Christ. And so she's a Christian, not walking with the Lord, but she's a Christian. I remember that he could have rationalized like that. But I'm sure that he was heartbroken over that because he saw what was really going on in her life. And then she has this amazing tragedy where she kills somebody. She's going to be heading to prison. And before her dad dies, to be able to hear her share what God has done in her life. Everybody else looked at that as a tragedy. He left this world knowing, my daughter's walking with the Lord. And what an incredible blessing. What looked like an earthly tragedy was an amazing blessing. And... um, For us, that's something that we need to understand, the amazing treasure of God. And um, when you think about the Apostle Paul, see, Paul died and went to heaven. And uh, he talks about that in 2 Corinthians. And actually, this is amazing to me because God tells him you're not allowed to tell people about heaven when you read that story. 
That was a vision that God gave Paul for himself. One of the things that amazes me, uh, have you ever heard books or read books of people who died and went to heaven? And they came and then they wrote a book and said, man, I went to heaven. I watched an interview with a guy. He was talking about how he died, how he went to heaven, how he saw this light. And when he came back, when, and, and, and he t- I think he told a story about being in the hospital room, looking down on his body and all the people that were working on him. And, and, and so in this TV interview, he talks about how when he came back, all desire to lie, to cheat, to do the wrong things was gone. Quit using profanity. He's talked about how good he was and the morality in his life. And <laughs> you, you want to know what my... Uh, what my reaction to that is, that guy definitely did not go to heaven and see God. You want to know what he said nothing about? Nothing about the gospel. Nothing about eternity. Nothing about what was at stake with people's walk with the Lord. It always amazes me. God tells us about heaven in the Bible. It's inspired and it's true. And yet somebody will grab a book that somebody wrote. Who knows what that was? And they'll go, hey, look, heaven's real. Now we can really believe this person died and they told us this. Who cares what that person says? We have scripture. Do you remember the guy who was in Luke chapter 16, the parable Jesus tells of the man who's in hell who says, send somebody back from the dead to warn my brothers so that they don't come to this place. If anybody saw heaven, if they saw eternity, they would have such a passion for the gospel. And these people who tell these ecumenical stories about how it's a warm light, those people didn't see God. They didn't see eternity. That would not have been their message. And we don't need that. We have what Scripture tells us. How did Paul respond to seeing heaven? You know, I think this is interesting. In Acts 21, some people go to Paul and they've just, somebody's actually just given a prophecy about Paul. When you go to this next city, you are going to be beaten and abused and it's going to be terrible. Now, what does Paul say? How does he respond? He answered and said, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of Jesus. In Romans 8, he says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed. In 1 Corinthians 9, he says, I do all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Paul's life was committed to being involved in people's lives to bring them to the place of salvation. That was his commitment, his passion. He was willing to suffer. He was willing to give up everything for it. And I'll tell you this. A person dies, goes to heaven, and sees Jesus, and they stick him on channel two. I can guarantee you if that person's been in heaven, he shares the gospel. He says there's one way to salvation. That is through Jesus Christ, and your eternity is at stake. And anybody who's caught a glimpse of Jesus, and you don't have to die and go to heaven, but that is one of the things I find with believers, new Christians. They lose their friendships with people. Their kids become alienated from them. Why? Because new believers sometimes, they're so passionate about the gospel. They feel like, man, I just got saved. God changed my life. I need to make everybody a Christian. And they go try to force people into heaven. You know, that passion 
for the gospel and for salvation and for a life of obedience flows out of every Christian's life. And I think one of the things in maturity is that we realize we do need to tell people the gospel. We do need to tell them things that would make them be mad at us. We do need to step into people's lives in a significant way, and especially the people that God has put in our family, our spouses, our kids, our close friends. Especially we need to be committed and involved in their life. We don't passively watch people walk off a spiritual cliff. We're committed to the gospel, and sometimes that creates relational difficulties. But with maturity, we also realize the other thing Paul's been teaching here, right? Um, to the natural man, we'll get to this. They don't understand the things of the spirit, but a spiritual person understands all things. So we recognize we cannot force somebody into heaven. So we don't try. We pray for them. We share the gospel. We urge them passionately. But we don't try to take somebody and shove them through the door. You know, I think it's, it's amazing to me how passive Christians are about the gospel. Uh, people who have been in church for a long time. Remember when I was a new believer, I was out on the beach. And uh, I shared the gospel. If I was in line, like, <laughs> you didn't want to accidentally say something to me because somebody I would share the gospel with you. So I'd be in line and somebody would go, oh, I got a coupon. I'd say, really? That's pretty good. And then I used that as a bridge to share the gospel with them. One time I'm on the beach with my friend, and um, somebody was playing volleyball, and they hit a volleyball over to our area. And I thought, oh, the Lord wants me to share the gospel with those people. So I grabbed the volleyball. I ran over to their team. I gave them the volleyball. And then I sat down and said, oh, so, uh, hey, do you believe in God? I remember sharing the gospel with this guy on the beach. And, and one of the guys that was overseeing me in my role at uh, the school I went to, um, he just goes, Roger, you don't have to share the gospel with every single person that you talk to. <laughs> But you know what happens in the church is we're actually trained to lose sight of actually what is significant. There's a lot of mistakes that you can make. But sharing the gospel with somebody is not a mistake. I have never regretted a conversation where I shared the gospel with someone. But I have regretted the opportunities that I've missed. And in the church, um, I think sometimes, though, People aren't passionate about the gospel because they themselves are not spiritually regenerated. You ever think about that? Like if you truly understand what is at stake with heaven and hell and you look at somebody that you love that maybe is doing really well in life and they got a great job, they're very successful, they have lots of friends, they're not making decisions that are foolish and wrecking their lives, but they don't actually know the Lord and they don't live for the Lord. See, if you can look at somebody in that situation and be happy for them, um, that's actually a problem. Because that actually, in one sense, is not something that flows out of a person who has a spiritual understanding of the world. But I think that in the church, sometimes in the church, we're actually trained to have a passive attitude towards people's spiritual condition. And that's something that we can come back and consider. Um, this next point is pretty significant, and it's what we're going to focus on next week. <laughs> Glad to hear that. 
Um, I'm going to just read the point. I'm going to read the passage. And then we're going to come back to it. And we're going to consider the significance of this. This is one of the most spiritually significant things that I find that people ignore in their life and in their ministry. So the third thing is that wisdom cannot be received without spiritual regeneration. And uh, I'm just going to read the verses, and then we'll come back and we'll dig into this next week. 1 Corinthians 2.12 says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. We impart in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but he himself is to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So in this section, we'll come back and we'll dig into it. But this is actually something that we need to consider as it relates to ourselves. If I'm a natural person, I will not understand or be interested in the things of God. This is something that we need to understand toward others. If other people don't have, if they're not spiritually regenerated, they will, be not, they will not be interested in or motivated or able to understand the things of the Spirit. And that actually impacts the way that we minister to people, the way that we pray for people, and the sense of urgency that God gives us for people. So we'll dig into that next week. And what does it mean to have the mind of Christ? How could we have a doctrinal disagreement about anything if we have Christ's mind? I don't know. Maybe I can answer that next week. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for your kindness, your goodness, for your word, the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, you work in the hearts of men. And yet that doesn't mean that we are not responsible. It doesn't mean that we don't make real decisions. It doesn't mean that we don't contribute in life, that we are just mindless robots. And yet we understand that while we are able to influence life, only you are in control. God, I pray that you would make us people that understanding that fill our minds and our hearts with your word. God, that we would be people that pursue your truth, that are open-minded, that want to know and understand what you've said. God, I pray that you would give us an effective ministry in encouraging one another and in reaching the lost because we actually understand life as it really is. Pray that you would bless each of us this week in your name. Amen.